0: All right, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Hebrews chapter number seven. Hebrews chapter number seven. We have kind of made an intentional practice to not make too much of of earthly holidays when we when we gather to worship the Lord, uh, I certainly recognize that both mother's Day and father's day for for some can be can be difficult this last week was two years of, of losing my dad as he went home to be with the lord and whether you have a earthly father here still or not or whether your earthly father was uh, a good representation of, of grace and, and mercy, and showed the love of the Lord in the home or not. Uh, I, I remind us that we we certainly have a heavenly Father who is good and gracious, and there is hope in life or death. And uh, I certainly cling to that this morning. So. Um, would you join me in prayer as we just ask the Lord to, to bless the preaching of the word God we come to you right now and I pray that you would settle my heart around the truth of your word I pray that as a church we would Be eager to receive your word. Joyfully receive it. Father, where else can we go? You alone have the words of life. So it's to the word that we run this morning. We need truth in our life, we need truth in our day, we need truth in our church. We need truth in our family. We need truth in this world. And so Father, I pray that even as we as Liberty Hills Bible Church gather around the truth of your word, we pray also for the many churches in our community and around the world who are also gathering on this Lord's day. Under the headship of Christ and under the authority of the word of God faithfully preaching your gospel, I pray that Your word would go out with great power. And it would do a work that I certainly cannot do. So Father, it's to the cross that we cling this morning. It's to the hope of an empty tomb that we we look to. I pray with those realities that our hearts would be encouraged. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter number seven. We're, by God's grace, finally going to close out chapter seven this morning. We're going to be tackling a a larger section, so hang with me as we attempt to do just that. We're going to look at verses 11 through 28 this morning. The title of the message is Jesus, a Better Priest. Uh, I know that's not an original title, and we probably even used it uh, once or twice as we have gone through the series, but Uh, There's no other title that we can give this last section of Hebrews chapter number seven other than that, Jesus, a better priest. I wonder this morning, have you ever heard the phrase, or maybe you even said it yourself, this phrase, that something is life changing. Or maybe you've heard the alternative, this will change your life. I'm not sure it's... An applicable phrase when we use it oftentimes in our society and culture. Maybe it can be applied to a new barbecue joint that you came across. I saw Brother Ed's post just yesterday. I got to check out this new barbecue joint. I'm sure it's life changing. If Ed gives an endorsement of a barbecue joint, you just need to go there like soon, right? So uh, we're going to do that. But uh, have you ever heard that phrase? this will change your life in regards to maybe a restaurant or or some other activity maybe it's a new addition of a phone new advancement in technology maybe it's a book a documentary just a a movie that's incredibly well done and and we describe it as life changing and as we try to recruit others to go and do that thing or experience this thing we say it will change your life it's life changing We probably all heard it and likely we all have said it. What do we mean when that phrase is deployed? We mean this, this person, this place, this thing was so impactful that it changed your entire perspective on whatever topic or area of life it may deal with. As a result of that experience, there is now a new and better standard by which all others are viewed It was life-changing. In a similar sense, our author this morning at the last half of chapter number seven here has declared something that is truly worthy of this description, life-changing. For it's in the pages of this Holy Spirit-inspired text that we see a person and we see a message that truly will change your life. And it will change your life. Namely, because there is now a new and better standard by which all others are to be viewed. So up to this point in Hebrews chapter number 7, we've seen this historical background of this narrative found in Genesis chapter number 14 between this priest king Melchizedek and and the the offerings that Abraham uh, gave to this priest king Melchizedek. And now we come to this conclusion, this this climax of the story as the author of Hebrews has looked to this high priest of Melchizedek in in a number of different passages in a number of different ways, looking forward and backwards to this topic and now he brings it to a close right here. This brings us to our big idea, which is this. Because Jesus is a better priest, Who made a better sacrifice, we now have a better hope through a better covenant. Because Jesus is a better priest who made a better sacrifice, we now have a better hope through a better covenant. This is the big idea of Hebrews chapter number seven, verses 11 through 28. And this morning we're gonna make just four simple observations as we work through these verses, and it's going to point all forward to this life-changing reality that Jesus is the better high priest. So the first point we're going to look at this morning is this, the insufficiency of the law. Point number one, the insufficiency of the law. Look at me at verse number 11 of chapter 7. Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood for under it, the people received the law. What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than the one named after the order of Aaron chapter or excuse me, verse number 11 kicks off with immediately drawing our attention to this word of perfection. Now, if perfection had been attainable this is the first time that we've seen this word perfection in the letter that is not pertaining to Jesus Christ now we're we're we're, we're looking at that perfection being applied to whom us as believers to mankind who have placed their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ So the first time here that this word perfection is used in this letter that's pertaining to the believer and not to Christ. But now here in verse number 11, the author ties the reader and really all of humanity to the standard of perfection. There's a a bar, there's, there's a standard that must be made and it is what? Perfection. This is what the author of Hebrews is really alluding to up to this point in chapter number 7. We have been looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We've been looking to Jesus, the perfect and holy one. But now, the author of Hebrews turns to us the need to not only acknowledge Jesus Christ as perfect, but to acknowledge our need to be perfect. Why? So that we can be in relationship with a holy God, perfection alone is the standard or basis upon which a relationship with God can be established and maintained only through perfection. Why? Because God is holy and righteous and perfect. This is His character. This is who He is. This is the established standard upon which we can commune with and know God only through perfection. Looking back to the fall, all the way back in Genesis, do you remember it? God provided the standard of perfection. He created Adam and Eve in perfection, in holiness, without sin. He also provided the means to maintain that relationship with Him. They were to simply do what? Obey the command of the Lord to not eat of the tree the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve doubted the word of the Lord. They disobeyed and ultimately rebelled against God's perfect way and God's perfect plan. They chose their wisdom over God's wisdom. What was the result of this? Sin entered into the world. It created a problem. It broke fellowship with a holy God. Perfection had been marred. Depravity had entered on the scene. Sin had been committed. Fellowship was broken. The result was sin. What did Adam and Eve do as a result of this sin? They hid their faces from the Lord. They became aware of their nakedness. They covered themselves as a result of the shame and guilt of that sin. Their sin broke fellowship with the Holy God. If perfection is the standard, and it is, the author is now providing a discussion on how then that perfection is going to be achieved, secured, and maintained for all eternity. And friends, it's through Jesus, the better priest. Ultimately, the author puts the law to the test. For these Hebrew Christians... There always seemed to be a tendency to do what? Turn their eyes away from Jesus and pursue the works of Judaism. The law would have been held in such a high regard. And our author puts this beloved law on trial and reveals it for what it is. It is insufficient. The law is always insufficient to bring about perfection. Perfection. We needed a Savior. We needed that perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God that we just sang about this morning. So our author states this this point about perfection. It's, It's a standard to be in relationship with the Lord. If perfection could have been achieved through the law, there would have been what? No need for another way to be established. There was no need for another priest to come after a different order. Not that of the order of the Levitical priest, but that of Melchizedek. There was no need. So the law was always going to be insufficient, and God's redemptive plan was always going to be through the personal work of His Son, Jesus Christ. That was always plan A, and never plan B. And His sovereign plan, and His perfect redemptive plan that would unfold generation after generation after generation, it is all looking forward to Jesus the great high priest, the one who is only able to make this way and restore a broken relationship with the holy God. As it turns out, because we have the entire canon of scripture, the law is insufficient in meeting the demands of a perfect and righteous and holy God. Do you remember the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter number 5 of the Sermon on the Mount, verse number 17, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. To do what the law could not do, Jesus came to perfectly fulfill the law that we could never do in our own strength, in our own wisdom, in our own understanding. Jesus was the one that could do that. So Jesus was reminding his hearers, his readers there at the Sermon on the Mount that that the law was insufficient to save. It was insufficient to bring them into a relationship with the Lord, thus Jesus. And his divine intervention was needed to make a way. Thus we have John 14, verse 6. Jesus proclaimed that he is the way, the truth. And, the life, and that no man comes to the Father, but by Him. Closely associated with our first point this morning, not only do we see the insufficiency of the law, but our second point this morning, we see the inadequacy of the Levitical priest. The inadequacy of the Levitical priest. Not only was the system of the law insufficient, but also the one representing the people, was inadequate. We see this in verse number 11. What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? That word need speaks to a gap, a deficit, a shortfall. The Levitical priest descended down from Aaron, born in sin, with their days numbered, just like the rest of humanity. We have belabored that point in previous weeks. Jesus is not of this Levitical priest whose days are numbered. He's of the order of Melchizedek whose reign and priesthood is what? Eternal. It is forever having no beginning and no end. These priests, although chosen by God to fulfill a very important function, were inadequate in and of themselves. Even their role as high priest was only by the good grace of the Lord. The system of the law and the representation as the high priest was all longing for something better, a new covenant and longing for someone better, the great, merciful, and faithful high priest, Jesus Christ. So the depravity of mankind and the inadequate nature of these earthly, infallible priests that came from the Levites necessitated a better priest. The law was insufficient and the priests were inadequate. We need Jesus. This week, I was graciously invited to golf with a few old uh, high school buddies. One of them was uh, Kurt Christensen. And uh, this was a charity tournament. It was a four-person scramble. Had a good time. Played pretty decent golf. Uh, But besides that, there were some pretty cool people at this charity golf event. Trent Green was there, former Chiefs quarterback. I know nobody cares about him now that we have Mahomes, but it was kind of cool. Trent Green was there. Another gentleman from the current Chiefs team was there. The Chiefs long snapper, James Winchester. I mean, you know James Winchester, the long snapper of the Kansas City Chiefs. Nobody. That's what I thought, right? Uh, the, the long snapper has a unique role, right? Uh, this is a role that's very, very important, but yet often overlooked. comes to an extra point. It comes to a field goal. It comes to uh, field position and, and being sure that there's a successful snap back to the punter. Uh, these are all critical parts of the game of football, right? And so here I had the opportunity to meet. Uh, James Winchester after the tournament, and the night before, on Thursday evening, he had just received his uh, Super Bowl ring, so they had a big gala, and all the Chiefs players were there, and they got their their new Chiefs ring. I got to put it on. I got a picture. It's a pretty cool deal, uh, but aside from that, we were in a group, the guys I was golfing with, and a couple other folks, and uh, there was a couple of snarky folks in that little group, and they were just noticing that the stature Of this particular long snapper wasn't really uh, that overwhelming, right? You think a guy who's on the line, he's probably a big 300 pounder, maybe six foot five, six foot six, you know, Chris Jones kind of guy, right? This is not the case. Uh, James Winchester is maybe six foot three, and I looked him up on the books, he's about 215 pounds. I happen to be the closest guy standing to him, and a couple folks mentioned. you know, you guys are are about the same size. And I said, whoa, hold on a second, right? My weight distribution is slightly different than James Winchester. Uh, Not only that, he does have me a little bit uh, on the height, and not only that, his skill at what he does and the craft that he does on the football field is something that I could never do, even though I was a long snapper in eighth grade uh, Odessa Park and Rex football. This man has incredible skill. He has a unique niche role on the team. And I guarantee you that even if I were to put on the shoulder pads, put on the man's jersey, and I were to trot out on the field, I guarantee you that Andy Reid would call a timeout and call security immediately and have me escorted off the field. And I guarantee you that if I were to slip past everybody, somehow make it to the line of scrimmage, and somehow snap that football back to the, the placeholder or to the punter or whoever it might be, I guarantee you, I would never be able to hit the mark and do what he did. I might have the jersey on. I might be similar stature and size. Although I'm pretty sure you'd be able to figure out that I'm not a pro football player in, in, a, in a set of uh, uh, shoulder pads. But there's imposters, there's imitators, there's some that try to fill a role of someone in something, but ultimately they're not the same thing, right? This was the same message that the author of Hebrews is trying to get across. That these Levitical priests the law itself. They were functioning in their time, in their way to maintain a relationship with God, but ultimately they are not the real deal. They could never do what Jesus was sent to do. They could never provide restoration eternally between God and man. It was inadequate. It was insufficient. The moral of the story of that place right there is that Eric Stanley is not James Winchester. I never will be. The author is reminding these Hebrew readers that they need to look beyond the law, that they place their trust in They need to look beyond this Levitical priesthood that they so loved and cherished and longed for that they held to such high degree because of the lineage and the genealogy and and going all the way back to Aaron, they held these things in such high regard. The author of Hebrews is saying that compared to Jesus, the law is nothing compared to Jesus. These Levitical priests are nothing. They're looking forward only to the one who can perfectly fulfill these roles. So now that the author has established the insufficiency of the law and the inadequacy of the Levitical priest, he will now crescendo into turning our eyes toward this better priest. This is our third point this morning. We're going to look at the the identity of a better priest. The identity of of a better priest. The author starts revealing the identity of this better priest in verse number 15 as we are reminded once again that this foundational truth with the the better priest is in the likeness of Melchizedek. Thus, verse number 16, he has no bodily descent as a Levitical priest would have, but rather this priest comes to us by the power of an indestructible life. I love that phrase. This better priest comes on the scene by the the power of an indestructible life. That phrase is pointing to some deep theological truths, pointing to the omnipotence, pointing to the immutability and the eternality of Jesus. This This is a big deal phrase right here in Hebrews chapter number seven. Indestructible life. This better high priest is divine in nature. The quality of his character and who he is demands a response. He is able, he is capable to fulfill these roles. And he is worthy to step in place and be this priest and king after the order of Melchizedek. So once again, the author of Hebrews is going to draw our attention to Psalm 110, verse number four. The Lord has sworn, this verse says, and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Three other times in Hebrews, we have seen the second half of psalm 110 verse number four pointing to this reality that you are a priest forever we've seen this both in chapters five and six but now here in this chapter we see the full verse referenced including this preamble of sorts the lord has sworn and will not change his mind What hope we have in this Psalm 110 verse number 4 as it is referenced in our text in Hebrews 7. Not only is this better priest established by the power of an indestructible life, meaning he is God. He is divine. He is eternal. He is um, omnipotent, immutable. These are deep, rich theological truths that we could take weeks unpacking. But because of who Jesus is, He is worthy to step in as this role as a better priest. But not only that, he is also established in this role by an oath directly from whom? The Father. And I love this phrase, he will not change his mind. This oath gives us, once again, a a bit more context to what the author was teeing up for us in chapter number six, his brother Ed unpacked that passage. Do you remember it? Hebrews chapter six, verses 17 through 20. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise of the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. We're going to come back to that word. He guaranteed it. Verse number 18, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. In context of this priest, King Melchizedek, we would have this this picture of those who are outside the kingdom walls, right? Right? And those outsiders, those sojourners, those that are maybe passing by, but ultimately those who are a part of that city and a part of that kingdom would be quickly let in and there would be refuge and safety behind the walls. Under the kingdom and the domain and the power and the authority of this priest king. So it goes on. We have fled for refuge, might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. Verse 19, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where we could never venture. Verse 20, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Friends, this reality is truly good news for us. Look at me in chapter number 7 of Hebrews, verses 18 and 19. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. The law is described as weak and useless. It has never made anything perfect. Again, remember this is the standard by which we enter into relationship and fellowship and communion with God is only through perfection. The law, the priest, the system, and our earthly representation could never make anything perfect. Verse 19, but on the other hand, A better hope is introduced through which we draw near. Friends, there is a a better hope that is available to us through Jesus Christ, the great and faithful and merciful high priest. Jesus is better. It is a better hope because Jesus is a, a better priest And he provides not just a better representation, but a perfect representation before the throne of God on our behalf. Look down to verse number 23 reminds us that because God has sworn this oath, he has secured the eternal permanence of Jesus's priesthood. So it's based on Jesus himself, right? His eternality, his divinity. Jesus himself is worthy of this position and this role and this priesthood and this kingship. But on top of that, God has sworn an oath and it has secured the eternal permanence of Jesus' priesthood. And what is the result? Jesus himself has become the guarantor of a better covenant. The guarantor of a better covenant covenant. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, verse number 25, looking to this upper room discourse that Paul is establishing this new covenant. We often uh, will read this passage as we are observing the ordinance of the Lord's supper. Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five: in the same way, also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. That better hope and that better covenant came by way of a better sacrifice. So this morning, we've looked at the insufficiency of the law, the inadequacy of the Levitical priest, the identity of the better priest, and our final point this morning is going to be the implications of the perfect sacrifice. What are the implications of this man, Jesus Christ, The better priest that gives a better hope through a better covenant through Jesus Christ. What are the implications, friends, of these realities on my life and on your life and of all humanity for that matter? We see in these preceding verses that one commentator described this as the principle of plurality. We see this in the failure of the Levitical priesthood. Of verse number 23, it says this, the former priests were many in number. This is the principle of plurality. But in contrast, we have verses 24 and 25, which introduce the singularity of a better priest, Jesus Christ. So what is this principle of plurality? It reveals the imperfections, the incompleteness of this inferior priesthood. However, The singularity of Christ's authority and provision demonstrate that God's redemptive plan for His people is complete. There's a stark contrast between the priests that are many, generation after generation, standing in as the high priest to represent uh, the people of God before God. They were inadequate. They were insufficient. And although they were many, they stand in contrast to the singularity, this this perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ who stands to complete the redemptive plan through His work on the cross of Calvary. He made a way. These thoughts should jog our memory all the way back to the beginning of this letter where Jesus is described in these terms. Verse 1 of chapter 1. We're going all the way back. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Verse 2, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Plural. Moving to singular. Singular. Spoke to us in in many times, in many ways through the prophets, but now in these last times, he has spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ. What are the implications of this perfect sacrifice? Look at me at verse number 25. Consequently, he is able to save. To the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Friends, because of who Jesus is and what he has done, because he is, because he is a better high priest with a better hope of a better covenant through a better sacrifice, Jesus Christ is able. Able to do what? He is able to save. And to save how? To the uttermost. This is a unique Greek construction here. Ace to a is the Greek words here. And it reminds us that the salvation this better priest offers is comprehensive. This salvation addresses every aspect of our spiritual need that is lacking in absolutely nothing. Jesus the better sacrifice is complete looking back to that scene on the cross where Jesus cries out to tell us die it is finished no work is needed no additional payment is needed no works of our own no wisdom of our own It's all insufficient and adequate anyways. Only the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ is able to make a way. The implications go on to indicate that because of the identity of Jesus as our great, faithful, and merciful high priest, and because He so perfectly represents us before the Father as our perfect sacrifice, we are able to be given a seat at the table. This is incredible, friends. We are now called co-heirs. Adopted sons and daughters accepted in the Beloved. What is another implication of this perfect sacrifice? We have access to the Father through the Son. Friends, get this. He, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, He is always making intercession for you. Did you get that? Jesus is always making intercession for you. It reminds me of that scene in Luke chapter number 22. Some of you have heard me reference this before. Just after the upper room discourse, after the Lord's Supper, the disciples begin to do what? Argue about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You remember that scene? And Jesus cries out to Peter. He says, Simon to Simon. He calls him his pre-Christian name. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he would sift you like wheat. Jesus goes on to tell Simon Peter, but I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you return, Not if, but when you return, strengthen your brothers. What's Jesus doing there? He's foretelling Peter's denial, right? That just in a few moments, he's going to deny him three times. He's going to curse God and run off. But Peter's going to return. Why? Because he holds us fast. Why? Because we have a sure and steady anchor for our soul. Why? Because it's not up to our righteousness. Why does He hold us fast? And why does our faith not fail? Because He secures it on our behalf. Our faith may waver, our faith may wane. We may be overwhelmed with the present circumstances and pressures that are mounting upon us, but at the end of the day, He who called us is perfect. And what He begins, He completes. And He will hold us fast so that our faith will not fail. He's making Intercession for you personally. What are you struggling with right now? What are you holding on to in your own wisdom right now? What doubts do you have in your heart right now? What sin are you harboring right now? Friends, take heart that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is standing before God, making intercession before you about that thing. The author in closing doubles down on the identity of Jesus in an effort to concrete these realities in our hearts and minds. Verse number 26, describing Jesus as holy, innocent, unstained, separate from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need. Verse 27 begins. So when you doubt, when you fear, when you I fear your your failure is, is just too big. Remember this morning that the sacrifice that was made on your behalf was perfect. And He is able to save how to the uttermost. No partial payments here. He has paid your debt and paid my debt in full. Because of who He is. Holy, innocent, unstained, separate from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He is a better priest. He is a better king. With a better hope. With a better covenant. Verse 27. What's the result of the personal work of Jesus in this way? Verse 27. Once for all, when he offered himself up, so in closing, the author of Hebrews provides this final summary statement. For the law appoints men in their weakness, but the word, excuse me, but the word of the oath appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This sacrifice, this hope, this better covenant, this perfect representation. This all comes through Jesus Christ Himself, who offered himself up willingly. In obedience to the Father. And it's through the the oath that the Father made. It's through that that He appointed a Son who has been made perfect forever. So the author begins this section with the requirement of perfection. And now he ends this section with the fulfillment of perfection. Jesus Christ, a better high priest. Friends, you remember Our big idea this morning, because Jesus is a better priest who made a better sacrifice, we now have a better hope through a better covenant. Are you thankful for that blessed assurance that we have this morning? Do you know Jesus Christ in this way? Have you been saved to the uttermost by the once and for all sacrifice of the perfect Lamb of God? The author of Hebrews would have you to know Jesus in this way. And it would be our prayer and our hope that all of us would know Jesus this way as well. Do you join me as we close in a word of prayer? God, we thank you that you have sent Jesus as a better priest. And I pray even this morning as we look to your word and we're confronted with these realities, God, I just pray that you would do a work to stir our hearts, to expose sin. Maybe there's somebody here who um, has been trusting in their own wisdom, their own works, their entire life. Maybe they've been wrapped up in religion, but have never experienced a personal relationship with this man, Jesus Christ, the priest king. Maybe they're attempting to represent themselves before a holy God and Father, we know that that's always going to be inadequate and insufficient as we have no righteousness to offer the Father. For all of our righteousness in his eyes are as filthy racks. We need a perfect sacrifice and we need a perfect representation before the Father. And we thank you, Jesus, that you have provided that. I think of Romans 5.8, that you commendeth or demonstrated your love towards us and that while we were in the very act of sinning, you died for us. God, I pray that you would grip us with those realities. That your love would control us and constrain us. And I pray right now this morning that you would draw the lost sinner to yourself. I pray for the gift and hope of saving faith this morning. We pray all these things in your precious name. Amen.